You are now listening to the Miguel Sanchez World Podcast. First, I would like to thank you for coming by and listening to my podcast. And second, I would like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe wherever you love listening to podcasts. And please give me five stars on Apple Podcasts specifically. That will help me and the podcast grow. So now on to the show. Of course, after our paid sponsors. Okay, I'm live for the first time on Clubhouse. What's up, King? What's up, Omar? How you guys doing? Let me see if I can make you guys speakers. Francis, what's up? Alright, so let me see how I can make you speakers. My first time on Clubhouse. I don't know what I'm doing. But you know me, how I do. Alright, invite a speaker. How'd you do that, Omar? What'd you do to make me invite you? Alright, King Voss. All right, talk to me, talk to me. Who who are you, King Boss? I know I know Omar. Me and Omar talk almost all every day. I'm gonna go on me so he can talk. All right, who are you, King? Uh, I'm nobody. I just went to high school with you. Ah, is this is this Maine? You sound like Maine. Who's who, who's What's good? What's good? Oh good. shit, Maine. Actually, you met you met Francis before. Oh shit, Casa was good. I, I don't know how to get you on a speaker. Yeah, your room is popping already. This is like the, the best. Yeah, yeah, let's blow it up. I, so I've been, I've been, I've been. Raise their hand to click the hand icon and you can paint them up. Let me paint some people. Yeah, that's what, that's what I heard you got to do. So everybody ping people to bring them into the room. Uh, but Kaza or Milan or Francis, if you want to talk. I don't know what you gotta do. You said raise your hand, and then I'll put you on the on the on the the audio side. Kaza was just texting me right now too, asking me if I made a million on GameStop. I told him I sat that one out, <laughs> but I do I do believe it, it's a it's a hint towards what me and Kaza we've been talking about for a long time, and actually Francis too, and Milan. That equity crowdfunding is the future, man. As soon as the crowd understands its power. We're going to make billions out here because we, we make shit hot, but we don't never, you know, um, participate in the upside of things, right? Like if we make the next Nike and we own stock in it day one, if we own stock in something that's worth a few million and it turns into trillions, we're talking about a lot of money that we can make out here. So that's where I'm at with it. You know, I'm trying to figure out this, this, how all this connects, you know, if anybody spoke, spoken to me in the last two years, I believe equity crowdfunding is where it's at, and actually, I saw something today, I don't know, um, you know who Arlen Hamilton is, do you guys know who that is, Kaza, you, you know who she is, right? Yeah, I know who she is, um, one of my former partners is, uh, pretty connected to her, so we tried to attract her attention on this last venture we were trying to raise money for, uh, but she's, she's pretty influential, and she's doing some good things. She just launched an equity crowdfund for her fund. So she's raising money for her actual fund. And I can say, well, actually, I'm not even going to talk. I'm not going to talk about equity crowdfunding because I got smacked on the wrist by the SEC for saying stuff I wasn't supposed to. So just know I'm an advocate of equity crowdfunding. You'll understand why later. <laughs> but she just did something that's very interesting. I'll just say that. Um, and she, she basically raised, she's going to raise a million dollars in one day of equity crowdfunding. Like in one day, she's going to raise 
a million. She's saying by in a few weeks she's gonna go up to like maybe fifty million through different rounds of of, of capable funding through equity crowdfunding, the Jobs Act. So I tell anybody who's raising money, and of course I'm gonna let you guys talk about who you are and what you do because I know all of you, but you guys should know each other. Um, I think oh Rob Cheeks, we got Rob in here too. Oh shit, we blowing up over here. All right, Rob, I don't know how you make people talk. I'm learning. This is my first time. Who who said how you do? You have to raise your hand. That's no, how you do it? Yeah, raise, tell everybody to raise their hand to bring them up. All right, if you want to be on it, raise your hand, and I'll bring you up, uh, I think. Because I didn't bring none of y'all up. I don't know how y'all did it. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to figure it out, though. We're going to keep rocking. Um, so why don't we do this? Why don't, why don't you guys talk about who you are and um, and talk about what you're doing right now? I'll start with you, Omar, since you came in first. entrepreneur uh huge fan of crypto uh and kind of do it all um always involved with colleagues and friends in their projects helping them raise capital uh along the way i have uh, met a lot of um big investors over the last 20 years you actually raised uh, money too right you raised money a while ago yeah well my, my first project 2.3 million yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so just constantly networking. I uh, love listening to everybody else's ideas and projects. And as you know, Miguel, we're always in contact, so always, uh, you know, fun to uh, be around you and just uh, get to know people. But, um, yeah, I'm open to pretty much anything, and I'd love to help out. Funny, funny, a few funny stories, and a and, uh, quick thing about Omar. Omar is also the, the cell phone connect. He gets the iPhones and stuff on the, on the good prices. So he, he has supplied me and many people around me with cell phones for a while. <laughs> and another funny story. One day I told Omar, yo, come through uh, the office. There's going to be people coming by. And that day AOC happened to come through. And, and every time he sees it, he's like, yo, it's crazy. You introduced me to AOC. Yeah, you know, time to your office. And, and, and the one day that she just decided to hang out with all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then, all right, we got my man King over here. So King, his real name is Jermaine Hugh. I went to high school with, with Jermaine. Tell, tell him what you do now, though, Jermaine. Tell, tell him about your history, period, though. Uh, history. Uh, quick autobiographical snapshot. Uh. When we left high school, I went to the Marine Corps. Then after that, I worked on Wall Street for about 10 years on the um, stock broker side and investment banking side. Made a lot of money, hated it. And I kind of went into a reckless one upstate and got my MBA. And worked in politics after that and did that for about five years. I'm a strong political in New York. And after that, I, I got into government relations and diversity for the infrastructure Um uh, industry so now i'm a, a lobbyist for you know uh, uh, uh architecture firm and in a year um uh, miguel i'm taking paco's advice and i'm yeah. doing my job and starting a private equity infrastructure firm so yeah that's me in a, a nutshell that's dope. That's dope. You know, whenever you whenever you're on that private equity stuff and hit me up, I got some learnings. Um, but also, Maine is you you missing a part that connects to something that that I'm about to start doing. You went and did some vacation real estate stuff in a in Costa Rica. What what was it? What'd you do you, you, when you did that? The vacation stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah. so uh, I, I became a fellow of APAC, which is uh, oh yeah, yeah. Biggest. Yep. lobbying um, organization in the world and 
so they sent us to a fellowship and we went there we spent like three weeks in israel which and they do or not they doing anybody's in the tech space they need to go to israel like oh uh, yeah you know what up, more people have been telling me that too i might have bro, to do that startup tel aviv is on is on sick and they're they're comfortable about partnering and disseminating money if you have a good idea but uh so yeah yeah so just partner with a lot of israeli firms and trying to get some stuff out there going so that that's what i've been doing overseas no, but I was talking about way back when when you first got out of the military. Didn't you do something in one of these? Uh, like yeah, when I, was, I was a kid. I had a, we had an eco tourism company in Brazil. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get back to you on your, your experience because what I'm about to do with the Airbnbs and and investing in in the Caribbean and South America, I may need some of your 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 knowledge. So we'll, we'll get back to that one day. Uh, Can I say one, one yeah. thing? One thing before you keep going. For sure, for sure. Yo, everybody keeps hitting me up about how to do Airbnbs overseas. You need to do a room on that. Just okay. All right. There you go. So you you listening? I got people in this room that need to be listening to that. I All hope right. they listening. <laughs> All right. All right. Good. Good stuff. That's good. Good advice. All right, Kaza, talk to me, Kaza. I want to know what you up to. I want the room to know about you. Go. <laughs> All right. Well, so my name is Kaza. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a technologist. I've been in tech for about 20 years. Um, I had a startup called Claim It uh, that I started with two brothers out of Harlem. Uh, we ran that from 2014 to 2017. I actually left. Um, and we, we just, you know, we tried to pivot doing some things in the space of uh, giveaways and we have some pink trucks riding around New York with people tracking them down on their phones and getting prizes and uh, it was an interesting experience we weren't able to, to get it as far as we wanted but we did raise a couple of million in funding for it um, and we went through the Newark Venture um, venture Accelerator for it also um, and then I moved out to Seattle um, and I've been out here working with Amazon Web Services. So my expertise is in data science and AI. I'm trying to build applications that are powered by data to kind of empower people because we generate more data than the entire planet can consume in like everyone's lifetime. So to, to kind of get all of the insights and information out of that data, we need like smart services, smart AI to kind of get it for us. So I'm currently bootstrapping a new project I've been telling Miguel about. Um, and I, I, Miguel, I'm doing a slight pivot from auto compare, which is kind of an AI. Oh, yes. All right. Um, let me know. Let me know. Yeah. Tell me, the tell AI me what it is. Search engine. Oh, it's, it's going to be conversational. It's going to use a conversational interface um, to basically let people ask any questions about their health. We're going to ingest um, data from Apple Watches, from fitness trackers. It's going to know everything about nutrition. It's going to know everything about food, everything about wellness. And it's basically going to kind of be like an assistant that people can talk to to get advice on like how to eat better, how to live better, and also give them suggestions on what they're doing, what their behavior is, how they can prove things based on them, giving it data that it can consume and, and process on their behalf. So, um, yeah, I'm still at AWS. Uh, my opinions and thoughts in this room are my own. And I'm at AWS. I'm a senior consultant uh, with professional services for AI. So I basically talk to the businesses who use AWS and I help them build conversational AI for their businesses. So, so as you guys are doing this, I, you made me think of something. That's why I stopped myself about talking about things that the SEC has already told me I can't talk about. I'm recording this on another phone and maybe make it a podcast too. If anybody has any objections to that, I won't post it. But I'm trying to 
repurpose this content. My thing with Clubhouse is that it's only real time and then it disappears forever. And the type of people I'm trying to bring together, I don't want that information to go forever. So let me know if anybody um, doesn't want me to do that, but that's my plan so far. Um, and if we, go, if we get somewhere where it don't make sense to do that, I won't do it. All right, but that's good stuff, Kaza. Kaza, yeah, I, I met Kaza years ago working in the agency world. And it's crazy to see his his rise and, and him and his partners creating was creating some cool stuff, some cool AI stuff. All right, so Milan, Milan, you up next. Tell everybody what you're up to. Hey, what's going on, man? Um, yeah, it's kind of funny that Kaza just mentioned what he was doing because we we're doing something very similar, if not um, exact match. Um, but yeah, I'm working in the AI tech space as well. I'm in edge tech and health tech. I have uh, two startups that I'm working on currently. Um, the one is matching Kaz's idea, which is called self, where we reward our users for their self-improvement, kind of using that conversational piece to understand who they are, and then rewarding them in cryptocurrency based on their actions. Um, the second startup that I run is the Agitech. We built the dropshipping software for farmers and organic brands, and we supply over 15,000 resellers right now um, using automated software, automated uh, technology to get these products drop ship and per location base cool cool yeah um so the the interesting story is this shows how old i am um milan is actually the son of one of my earliest clients rob who's in the he's in the he's not talking but if you want to talk you can talk so me and rob used to make websites way back in the days and we we, used, we actually made one of the first e-commerce websites for one of the biggest fashion brands and then you know to to Years later, find out his son is great in a startup, and, and I've been trying to help him and mentor him and help him raise money um, for a while. It's a, it's a small world, and we got to stick together, so, so it's pretty interesting. Anybody else want to join the chat, the talking? Let me know. I'm learning. This is my first clubhouse ever. I'll tell you about who I am. Uh, my name is Miguel Sanchez. I, I've been in this tech game for 20-plus years, I would say, uh, and I've been able to build many things for other people and at, at a certain point I realized you know I'm, I'm tired of making other people rich and I want to figure out how to make myself rich being able to build things so I started to look into the, the, the startup world and I realized you know and that's why I named this room investors and entrepreneur connection basically the idea is you got to kind of understand both sides if you want to build something that's valuable in many ways right if you it depends on if you want to exit right and just get, take your check or you just want to raise this money and build something that the that's a little more future proof. So what I, what I mean by that is right now a lot of a lot of us when I say us because we're mostly minorities in this room, when we raise this money, what I've seen is that second, third, fourth level of raising that you got to get to is very very difficult, right? Like and I've seen people that have great ideas and somebody's doing something very similar to them and they're not minority and they get the money. And the other, the, the the brown and black people, they don't get the money. So what what I what I've been going towards is all right. So I just got to get an understanding of the other side of this coin, which is the investment side. So as I start started making my way in the venture capital scene and understanding the way venture capital works, I realized it is it's just the rich getting richer. So if you're not in that position to fund a startup. You're not, you, it's really hard to get into that game. So I started to figure out, okay, how could I get in the game, right? So I started just, 
I started MetaBronx, which is a nonprofit where we would help um, startups raise money. And we've been, we've been able to help companies raise millions of dollars through that, but it's a nonprofit. And the reason why I created that was because at first, people like Casa, Milan, and, and even the Omars of the world would come to me and say, look, I got a good idea. All I need is a few hundred thousand or a million and we could take this and explode it. And if you could build it for me, you know, you could take equity. But what I started to realize was it was very hard to get that round of money, the, the, the actual venture capital money. So I, so I said, okay, we need to raise our own fund. So I would go around talking my shit. And everybody was like, yeah, right, you're hilarious. They're not, nobody's going to give you a million dollars, $10 million without proving that you can pick startups. So I said, all right, so how can I do that? So I went back and I said, okay, I'm going to show that I can pick winners, but I'll do it through a nonprofit, right? So that's what we did. We created MetaBronx. And MetaBronx also, because I'm, I'm, I'm from the hood and I, I wish I would have had the opportunities that, you know, I didn't. I also involve young people in that experience. So we bring high school students, um, college students, and we give them internships in the companies that are run by minority founders creating technology companies. This summer, we were able to work with over 350 young people. So I was super proud of that. But all that to say, it's a tough road in that venture capital world because it is, it is very... Um, relational. So you have to really know people and they have to be willing to, to risk money on you because this venture capital game, another big thing I learned is most venture capital firms go out of business. Most of them lose their money, but they don't really tell you this, right? Like they, you, you only see the, 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 the big wins, but most of them go out of business because it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot. You're investing in a hundred companies, hoping one or two become billion dollar companies. But while you wait, which on average, each business that exits is average seven years. So if you're a venture capital firm and I give you a million dollars today, I'm waiting seven years for my money back, maybe. So it's a rough game to be in. And then the way you get paid on the venture capital side is called two and 20. So if you are a venture capitalist, you're giving out this money and you only get 2% of the total amount per year to live off. So let's say I created a million dollar fund today. I can only live off 2% of that per year for seven years on average. That's not enough money to live, right? So you got to create these bigger funds. And how do you get 10, 20, $100 million on your first time? It's really hard. So this is where I started to look at equity crowdfunding. When equity crowdfunding first came about, it was like 2012, Obama passed it. It's called, it was called the Jobs Act. And I happened to be working with a, 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 um, a politician in the Bronx. His name was Michael Blake. And he was like, look, I'm going to put you in this room because Obama just passed this law. And I think you should be in the room when they're talking about it. So I was like, all right. So I go to this room in the Bronx and there's all these people in it I've never seen before. And they're like, there's this new thing. It's called equity crowdfunding. It's going to change the way investors can invest in startups. So I was like, okay, but how does it work? If, if I put $100 in, how does all that work? And they were like, look, the law just passed. We can't really explain it, but we do know they're going to give out licenses for companies to be able to do this. So I was like, okay, so how do I get one of the licenses, you know? And they were like, well, it's SEC, so you got to go through all these hoops. It's probably going to cost you sixty dollars to $80,000 to just apply for one of the, the, um, the, the licenses. So I was like, yeah, all right. Uh, check in on that another time because <laughs> I didn't have that. So fast forward, 
few years ago, like maybe two, three years ago, it actually passed in a way that these basically 30 companies were created, 30 platforms that you can do this equity crowdfunding thing on. And then I was telling everybody, anybody, pretty much everybody in this room that I know that I believe this is the way startups will get funded in the future. Why is that? Because now you don't need to go beg the already rich who most of the time don't invest in us anyway for the money. You can, you can not beg, you can show your community that this is an opportunity. And look at what just happened with GameStop and AMC. When we put our money behind something, we could blow something up. But I posted this thing on Instagram where, where the Wolf of Wall Street dude, Jordan, uh, I think it's Belfort, he said the real thing that to, to look at here is if the crowd gets behind companies they believe in, that's the opportunity for money. So that's where I said, this is what I've been saying for a long time. And this, this GameStop thing just proved it. You know, like if they could take a company that's pre pretty much dying and explode it. But the reason, the, the problem is they were just trying to blow, uh, blow it up for speculative you know, quick wins, time and trade the market. And that's why I say entrepreneurship and investing is connected, right? Like you have to start understanding both sides. And the more you understand on both sides, the easier it will be to navigate the whole industry. Because now watching that, I see that whole thing very differently than before I understood the investment side of everything, right? I see that as somebody came in when the valuation was low, and when all these people started pumping money in, that the value of that company grew tremendously. And that's why the stock price and all that, I mean, the stock value grew because we just made the valuation or whoever did it, because I didn't go in. We just grew that valuation by investing in it as a community, as a crowd. So what I've, I've been saying for a long time, and I'm going to make a shameless plug here. You should check out my TEDx talk where I basically said this a few years ago. I said the way it's got to work in the future is we have to be able to benefit from the innovation from our community, right? So if Kaza's startup, Milan's startup is the next big thing, we need to be able to own it. And as it grows, we benefit from that. But the old school model is Kaza and Milan got to go to the rich white people who don't invest in us anyway most of the time, beg them for money, they give them a million, and they make 40, 50, 80 times their money on that investment when Kaza ex exits uh, and Milan exit. If, if they let them continue the company all the way, because that's another big thing that I hear being on both sides, that sometimes they'll take a founder out their own company. You know, be, and, and, and I, I actually have a founder right now in Metabronx, a black founder that that happened to. He raised $6 million and the venture capitalist removed him from the company. After, they, after he raised that $6 million. And this is where I, I keep hearing stories like that. And I'm like, this is why we got to control our own destiny more. And what is entrepreneurship other than that, right? Like entrepreneurship is about trying to control your own destiny, not being, you know, somebody could walk in tomorrow and say, all right, you lost your job. So when you do equity crowdfunding investing, you're not going to these big firms where they got to sit on your board and possibly remove you. You can make this ec the equity crowdfund whatever you want. And definitely the, the investors don't have board seats, you know, so it's a better route for you as an entrepreneur. But what's the pro and con of it all, right? It's it's retail versus wholesale. And I actually had a um, an equity crowdfunding um, CEO, a platform CEO on my YouTube channel. I had my interview him and he's the one who said this. And I was like, that's brilliant. 
He said, if you take a lot of money, the person gets a discount, right? So let's say I say my company is valued at $3 million. And an investor's like, yeah, but if I give you a million, I want it to be valued at 2.5. And you may be like, you know what, for that million, I'm going to have to take that. But on equity crowdfunding, you can say, I think my startup is worth $4 million right now. And the crowd decides to give you that value or not. And of course, there's some, some ethical things to talk about within should you... Because you can also say my company's worth $10 million, $100 million, and the crowd can either invest or not. But where I see the, the, the value in equity crowdfunding is the community owning the innovations of the future. And then for the entrepreneur, the lack... I mean, the, um, the non-kind of um, potential strain on your journey because of the investors. I've literally had... The first guy I helped raise a million dollars... He almost lost the company because his investors came back and was like, you're not, raising, you're not moving fast enough for us. We'd rather your company die than you keep going in this speed. They told him that. And I was uh, like, question. go ahead, Kaza, go ahead. So, I mean, because there's, there's, you touched on a lot of issues. And um, one of the issues, though, is depending on what kind of venture you have, it, you, you might need to raise a significant amount of money, like more than just a small seed to actually get that thing off the ground. So I can answer that crowdfund equity, like what, what are some of the numbers that you think are possible that can, can be raised? And, and are they really interested and focused on pre-seed and seed, or are they actually going to be able to do a uh, series A as well? So that's, that's a great question because that's where a lot of people hear that million-dollar number. Like, oh, you can raise a million dollars. They're like, yeah, that's, that's okay in a certain stage. But later on, how do you do that million? First thing is one of the best things Trump did, <laughs> even though I guess just I'll, just I'll just use this one as the only th good thing he did. He, so before when Obama passed the JOBS Act, he made it so you could raise $1 million a year through equity crowdfunding from unaccredited investors. That means... You're not rich, basically, right? So you can basically raise a million dollars a year. Trump changed that to be $5 million a year. So now you can raise, on your first time out through equity crowdfunding, you can raise up to $5 million. But from a, from a startup's perspective, me again going both sides, I don't know if you want to give away that much of your company that early, right? So in an early stage, if your company's worth, let's say it's even worth $10 million, and that's that's not that... Um, that's pretty rare. You're going to give away half of your company first time out. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. You don't want to, you don't want to end up with half of your company on your gone in your first raise. So it depends on where you are, right? From, from my perspective and, and I'm, I am involved in an equity crowdfunding fund. We're looking for companies that are, that are valuing at a 10 million and only want to raise 10 to 20% of that 10 million valuation. So they want to raise one to 2 million. Be, the reason why we're doing that is because ethically we think you shouldn't be giving up more than 10 to 20% of your company. If you do that, even 20 is a little too high because the, you got to raise multiple rounds, right? If you give 20 away at your first round, that's, that's a lot, right? So to answer the second part of your, your question, there's other regulations. So the first regulation of 5 million, which only is going to go into play, I think, in March, it's not even available right this second. But this comes because I have the inside track stuff. But 
there's other rounds. So you can go from 10, I mean, from um, 5, all the way up to 50 million. There's different, and I think it might, might even go even higher than that. There's another thing called Reg A+. Look that up. So Reg A+, is you can scale that number to, to high numbers. I think hundreds of millions of dollars, but over a process. You have to, I think, prove each each tier first. You can't just come out and be like, I want to raise 50. You have to raise the five first, then another maybe 25. And but that's I'm and I'm 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 making this content as I learn it. So again, I put myself in the position of the investors and then I, I went to a group and I told them, look, equity crowdfunding is the future. I believe in it and I'm working with startups that I believe will work with it. And they were like, all right, we'll start funding 12 companies a year for you to to test this out. So right now I'm literally learning all this stuff as I talk to you, but I knew about it for a long time, but I didn't know the ins and outs, the legalities. And that's why I get in trouble sometimes about what I should say, because I don't know what I can say publicly because it's SEC regulated. The first thing I, I will tell you, and this I have to learn, if you are planning on, on doing equity crowdfunding, never talk about it publicly until you have the paperwork and you are live. So that's that's a big thing that I did wrong. I had to take down a bunch of videos because of that. Um, the second thing I would tell you is start collecting an email list because right now what what of email list not just of people that like your product, people that would invest. So in the the early companies I'm dealing with right now, what they're telling us is you want companies that have at least ten thousand names of people that said they would invest in the company if they could, right? Because on average to raise 1 million, you need 3,000 people to invest. So if you got a list of 10,000, 3,000 of them, 30%, and that's still probably pretty high. But what we're going to do in my fund is we're going to take people and then we're going to put advertising behind and grow their list. So we're going to try to grow their list to like 10, 20,000, hoping 3,000 come out of that, right? And that's, again, in our sweet spot, we want people that are trying to raise one to two million and giving away 10 to 20%. And even the 20%, we're going to, you know, I'm going to advise them not to do 20%. I think the most you should be giving away on your first round is 15%. And what that valuation is, if you're trying to raise a million, if you need a million dollars to do what you're going to do, then you got to make sure your, your startup can prove that it's worth 10 million early, which is not easy, right? But, but again, Oh, I, I said a lot of stuff. Kaza, any questions from it? No, I mean, I, I was actually looking at the Reggae Plus as you were talking, and um, it makes a lot of sense. If that can scale up to 50 mil, that is pretty significant. That actually can would, would be able to go toe-to-toe with a lot of the small to mid-size uh, VC firms, which, like you said, they ask for 20%. You know, out here in Seattle – Man, even even if it's an AI or a biotech startup or a cloud startup, like if you're saying you're worth ten mil right out the bat, yeah, and the founders are not rock stars, they're not trying to hear it. I've spoke with most of the VCs here in town, and like yeah. they're looking at eight mil and under, and they want twenty percent plus. Yup, and even eight mil. Like, think about what you got to do to prove you're worth eight mil out the gate. Like. That's not easy. Like the the companies that the companies that I've dealt with early on, they're raising at a three to five million valuation, and they were getting they were getting you know uh, just bad deals, but they had to take it right. Like how do you turn down a million dollars when you know you need it, right? You turn like, it down. You bootstrap. You 
bootstrap. I was I was on a conference with um Michael Siebel from Y Combinator with um Jared from um the Harlem Venture Capital uh those dudes, and um and Arlen was on there too. And kind of all three of them were saying, "Hey, if you could bootstrap, bootstrap," because you can. You, you know, me, Miguel, me and you have talked about this a lot too. It's like. You want to have that leverage as an entrepreneur and you want to, if you can afford to prove what you're doing and prove, get, get some early traction, some early product market fit, that's going to give you so much more leverage when you sit down at the table with the investors, whether it's a, a crowd fund equity or it's traditional VC, you're going to be able to negotiate because you're going to be able to say, listen, we got something that's hot right now. Like, yeah. we listen, we're proven. We're proven it. We built it. Like, one of the things, you know, with me and my partner, we, we have an idea, we go out and build it, and then we start testing it. And so when we sit down across the table from VCs and potential investors, angels or whoever, we're like, this thing is out. This thing is live. Our MVP is up. We don't need your help to build it. We don't need your expertise. We're trying to see if we can find the audience. And if we find the audience and you give us a bad deal, you try and give us a bad deal, we'll walk away from it and we'll find a better deal once, you know, the thing is actually blown up. So, I mean, I, I advocate bootstrapping if you can. Like, if your thing is only worth three mil, I don't even know if you should be looking for funding unless it's just that kind of thing, like you're doing hardware or something, retail, where you really need that investment. In the software space, you just wait until you're worth more than three mil because that those are going to be some really bad terms of any kind of investment, uh, you know, like deal you're going to get, in my opinion. The thing with all this, right, when you say you're worth whatever, especially early, it's not backed by anything real, right? It's backed by your confidence that it really is worth that and what you can explain because as the guy who raised a million on the 20%, um, I had him on, on some other podcasts, I think, a long time ago. He basically said... It's basically managed delusion, right? You have to be so delusional at that point that you can, <laughs> you can com convince that VC that you're going to do what, what you're saying, right? So if in the beginning, like I think he raised that in like 2015, something like that, 16, this, he was the first ever person from the Bronx to raise a million dollars, like a Dominican guy was a security guard in, in, in Fordham University, and then he started studying tech and coding. So for him, you know, it was it was a journey, and when he got there, that million dollars, like, you know what, I'd rather be the first person to raise a million dollars than not. And I literally, I was the first person to give him actual money. And I told him the same thing, you don't need that million. You got, because like you, Kaza, he had a co-founder that was a developer. That's where it literally, it changes a little. If you have a startup idea, but you don't have the developer, a lot of times you need to raise that money to pay the developers. When you have that co-founder that is a developer, changes your whole game. If you look at um, Snapchat, Snapchat went IPO and their two founders still have more than 51% of the company. How does that happen? They came at it with money and I believe one of the co-founders was a, was a technical co-founder. So like, of course, that's the ideal scenario, going IPO and owning more than 51%. But again... I don't think that's going to happen for people like us yet. It's going to be some time. But the equity crowdfunding platform, what it does allow is a lot less judgment from the patriarchy of venture capital, right? Like you said it, Kaza, you got to go in and convince somebody you're worth eight to 10 and, and that you're not going to take a bad deal. And they have all the power. And now from, from being on this side, again, it's, it's crazy to be able to see it from both sides. One thing that I've heard many, many times, and this is messed up, 
and I'm breaking, I'm probably breaking the, the rules and telling, I'm being a, a, a sellout for telling you as entrepreneurs, investors feel like you'll always be needing money and they can get in whenever they want. Because a lot of times I would bring deals to people and they'd be like, yeah, you know what? I'll get, I'll get on that one later. And I'm like, how do you know you're going to get on that one later? And they're like, you'll see. The longer you spend time in this game, you'll see. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But I, I kind of see what they're saying because it's been about a year. Of course, COVID does change things, right? It's a whole different scenario. But I even agree. I even think COVID makes my point even stronger. How hard is it to have venture capital uh, meetings right now, right? That, how, is, how is it that you just randomly in a, in a mixer meet someone? You know, it's very hard to get that now. So even when you go on these big Zoom calls, it's hard to make a relationship with a venture capitalist in the chat. You know what I mean? Like, it's really hard. But the community, but going directly to the community has never been easier. You can literally spin up an ad and, and reach thousands of people in, a, in, a, in, a, in an hour, right? So the difference of spending the time to raise, I believe it's a better route to do equity crowdfunding because not only that, is they're un, uneducated investors, right? So in, the, in one way... You are taking advantage of the fact that they not they're not gonna understand valuation. You could cause you could be like my thing is worth fifteen million. They're like, well, all right, whatever. And I'm I'm actually working with one right now. I just started right now. Can't talk about it yet, but they are. I think their valuation. They came in saying their valuation was gonna be about thirty million, and we all were like, you're bugging out. There's no way, right? And we literally had to change their valuation for the crowd. But they could have went on the crowd if we didn't advise them. Because the way my fund works is we win when you win, right? It's, it's a, in the beginning, it's not that we're giving you a million dollars. We're helping you get on equity crowdfunding and raise the million through the equity crowdfunding. And we only really make money if you raise your money. If you don't raise your money, we actually lose money. So it's a vested interest that you guys raise the money. So with, I, when they said 30 million, I looked at everybody like, you know they ain't going to raise at that valuation, right? And they were like, well, it is kind of if they can if, if people could think and I was like yeah but do we want to take that risk I ain't taking that risk they either lower it or I'm not working with them <laughs> like you know because at the end of the day you could you could do that but it's gonna make it harder right but but that's the that's the beauty of and kind of like the pro and con of all this right if you are in this in this game you do have that ability but it's up to you with great power comes great responsibility to quote spider-man um, you can't go out there and cheat the investor either just because you can right you don't want to say your thing is worth so much that it gives them a smaller value on your on their investment and but and it also can bite you because the next round means if you if you start out the gate at 30 and this company, I'll be honest, they probably could have done it. They have enough to 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 value that. There's, there's, it's, pretty, it's pretty well done. They already have pretty major relationships. But for me, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. And it, it, it because and that's the beauty of being on both sides and also being a minority in this game, right? Because I'm like, who are we targeting with this? We targeting people like me, right? And and I'm working with minorities in this too. And I'm like, do you think that's fair. That's a fair deal for, for people like us. No, it's not. All right. So they got to lower it. And, and you know, it's fine. It ended up being lower, right? But at the end of the day, that's why I love being in the seat I'm in. I'm on both sides of this thing. But at the same time, I'm creating content to educate because 
even this clubhouse, thank you for everybody who's been listening. I want to start under, people understand the connection of this entrepreneur side and investment side. The more you understand both sides, even if you're in here as just an investor, you're like, all right, I want to invest in stocks. What you got to understand is you're investing in companies. You got to understand entrepreneurship to understand what these people are doing. Like I remember last year, I hadn't invested in a stock in my whole life. Last year around December, I heard an article. I heard a, um, something on the radio about what Elon Musk was doing with the battery. And as an entrepreneur, I was like, "Holy shit, he's gonna kill the game with that!" And I opened up Cash App because it was the only stock thing I knew at the time, and I had it because I paid people through Cash App, and I bought Tesla stock. Because I was like, what he's doing is going to kill. Because I knew as an entrepreneur. Then when the stock started going exploding, I was like, holy shit. But it wasn't because I made that. I didn't invest in that because I thought, oh, the stock price is going to go up. I invested because I was like, as an entrepreneur, he knows what he's doing. And with that battery plan, he's going to kill. So I said, all right. I'm willing to put money in there as an investor. And of course, that, that money, what, like seven times or whatever it is, right? So it comes, it's a real good connection that I think part of what I want to start creating content around is people understanding both sides and then getting the questions. That's what I like about this clubhouse thing. Any questions so far, anybody wants to talk, raise your hand. I don't know how to do it, but I'll figure it out. Or anybody has any questions about anything I've said, let me know. So, Miko, I wanted to circle back and go back to the... The, the, uh, the crowdfunding equity and the VCs hire a ton of people fresh out of Harvard MBA uh, programs, Stanford MBA programs, and they're vetting these companies. You know, you got people like um, Chamayev Palihapitiya with all kinds of like data scientists combing through the data of what startups they think are going to do well and which ones won't. And so how are the crowdfund the, the crowdfunding equities uh, investments going to kind of deploy that same kind of data analysis and research so that they don't just, a lot of folks just don't lose their money, right? Like you still yeah. want to invest in companies that are going to go on to be successful. And how are they really going to measure that? If I come in front of them and I'm talking machine learning models, language models, Bert and Elmo and all kinds of different yeah. stuff. And I'm like, it's ultimately going to do this for, for the user. And they don't understand any of that. You know, for me as an entrepreneur, I, you know, I can craft a story and, and have the pitch that kind of, you know, speaks at, at a general level. Another thing that I think entrepreneurs have to do is kind of go against the grain of the blitzscaling where you just try and get super big, super fast. And, um, and, and you know, you, now you have this outrageous payroll for some really high paid, you know, developers, even if you outsource to people out of, out of state, or, I mean, out of country. You still have gone too fast and, and you're not making any money and you don't have a product that's going to get a sniff at making any money. You know, and I know for me, this is my third venture that I'm trying to get off the ground now. So the plan is really to make money earlier just to prove the business model. It's not really to say, oh, this is going to support the business. But I want to be able to go in front of a crowdfunded equity group of people and say, look, we're making money. And if I add more people and we add more services and we turn the screws, you know, we turn the faucet on. We can generate more revenue because we wanted to prove that the business is, is valuable and solid and can actually make money before we come in front of people and try and get them to invest. So, so you're, you're, you're exactly right, right? That's one, of the, that's one of the worries about equity crowdfunding. It's just like, the, it's the reason why equity crowdfunding, had, they had to change a law. 
Because what happened last time, we were in a similar time like this where it was basically the Great Depression and there were stock people taking advantage of people. They were going around saying there's a stock, it's going to grow a thousand percent. And what are we starting to see, right? We're starting to see this GameStop shit. So what they did was they put this law where people had to be what was called intelligent investors or, you know, um, accredited. They had to be accredited, accredited yeah. right? And so have money they could they lose. have to have money they could lose. So now this new law is open is gonna open that. But I see it as an opportunity and of course a risk, right? Well what what these platforms are doing, this is where the platforms are so important. It's really up to the platform, right? And the platforms that I've been working on and working with, I've been seeing how they do it. They don't allow you to go on there if they don't believe you're going to raise money. Why is that? They've created a business model the same way I'm talking about our business model. It's based on you winning because there's fees that you have to pay, you have to, pay to get on equity crowdfunding. And it's not to the portal. It's to the government. You got you to gotta file stuff with the SEC. You got you to gotta, um, have your accounting done a specific way because this is like a public company. It's like going IPO without being IPO. So you have to spend this money and then they only make money if you win. They call it a success fee, right? So they are surviving by you actually raising this money. So if you get on this platform and you dud out and you make nothing, they make nothing. So it's, it's an ecosystem that kind of supports itself. But what I have heard too is, even the top investors. When I first started meeting with investors, it's pretty crazy how many of them told me they didn't even do the stuff that we did at MetaBronx to screen our startups. They were like, we normally don't even deal with that. We just give them the money if we like who they are. And I was like, what? And that's how you, you, can, you can see it in the history of how this works, right? A, a, a white founder that failed four times, still raised four million, no problem. A black person, I, one of the one of the the guys that I told you, I told you he raised six million dollars and he took his company away from him. He hasn't been able to raise again, and he had a ridiculous startup and it was doing so well, and he raised six million. They took it away from him for no reason, and he can't raise more money. It was not like he failed. He did right. He did what he was supposed to do, and he still can't raise money. Right. So all this stuff is the past has been an insider game. It really has. And this future is going to be a little bit of an insider game, but now with the public option, if the insiders are right and we can say, okay, Kaza, your, your startup, Milan, your startup, we're going to believe in it more because we believe in you. That's the truth about this investment thing too. It's not about the idea. It's about the people. The first thing when I started going and getting trained by these venture capitalists, they said, we need to see two co-founders, and they need to be stars. Then I want to know what idea they have. Why is that? Because you, everybody here knows we pivot all the time, right? We want to know that I got good people I'm putting this money behind, and they'll figure it out. Whatever the idea is that it ends up being, those are the people that are going to figure it out. So what you're saying, Kaza, is true in the mindset of, there is, there is the possibility of people taking advantage of this, but that's where these equity crowdfunding portals, if they do that, they're going to ruin their brands and then nobody's going to want to be on those platforms. So there's a little bit of a setup in a way 
to make sure that the platform is the guardian of, of the gate. Because if not, those brands are going to go down and nobody's going to use their platform. If, if something artificially raises too much money on a platform and is a shit show publicly, that, that place is not going to be able to recover. That brand won't be able to recover from that, right? So I hope that answers your question. If I missed anything, let me know. Thanks, thanks. All right. So, anybody else? Any other questions, Maine? And what do you think about all this? I know, I know you, you're, you're in the, in the. Um... Well, well, Milan took his mic off. So. Oh, okay, okay, Milan. Go ahead, Milan. Go ahead. What you got? I just want to add um, human IPF, right? So I don't know if you guys heard about that. I um, saw you on it. What, what, explain it to us. Yeah. So human IPO is um, you're basically saying crowdfunding with the startup, but it's basically crowdfunding with the entrepreneur, right? So. I'll give you an example. Let's say Mark Zuckerberg was on um, Human IPO prior to Facebook, right? And he launches IPO saying, hey, I'm going to sell my time, you know, per hour for $100 an hour. Now he builds Microsoft, I mean, builds Facebook and then blows up, right? Now his time, which is $100 an hour, may go up to $1,500 an hour. So that stock went up. You made money when you invested that $100, right? So I think this company, Human IPO, was like the future of what you're saying and putting that all together. I, I, I did a, deep, a, a dig deep on that one and I looked and I, I started to sign up for it and everything and I just got thrown off. I get so many different things going on. But I like the no, idea of it. it's definitely something good. You should um, definitely look at it because it's it's going to catch on. So how does it work though? Think. Once they give you the money, you just take it? So, so the idea is, okay, I say right now because I'm not super rich, I'm going to give you $100 an hour of my time and you can buy a certain amount of hours of my time. So I'm going to say, let's say I give a $1,000 raise. I'm giving away 10 hours of my time. They give me that 1000 and then I give that 10 hours? Yeah, exactly. So every there's a batch. So you do 10 hour, 10 hour batches. Mm -hmm. um, so right now I started mine at $100 an hour. It went up to 150 So whoever bought it at 100 made that profit so question um, though what makes yeah. it go up to 150 the people buying right the so more people buy it grows the value exactly um the more people that believe in that one entrepreneur or investor i actually met investors that way right because tristan pollock is um f51 startups i met him you know he's actually going to be joining our company and our parent company so i actually got a lot of people it's a good way to network and it's also a good way to raise for your companies without using your company that's pretty interesting, man. I, I, I definitely, I thought, I thought the model was really good because of what you just said. It was the, it goes back to what the investors have told me. It's more about the people, right? So in this case, you're like kind of, but, but the only thing I say that the, the pro and con, of course, I always try to look from both sides. Now that, you know, I am on both sides, I always try to see the opposite, right? So I say, okay. It's not actual money, though. What I'm still doing is I'm investing in getting time from this person. Hopefully, this person can help me in that allotted time. But it's not actual cash that I will get back, right? No, you do get cash back. So, oh, you do? Uh, yeah, no misconception there, right? So you're essentially, what you're doing is you're buying the person's time early, right? So Mark Zuckerberg again, right? So mm -hmm. you're buying at $100. Now, obviously, Mark Zuckerberg is like a social media guru. So now most people want to talk to him about social media. 
So he's going to say, if you want my consulting hours, you got to pay me this an hour. Uh, right? You're right. You're right then. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? That makes sense. So if you bought it at 100 and now it went up to 1500 you can now sell that hour to someone else that really wants to talk to him and you make that profit. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. I just thought you just, you, you really would have had to pay that more so you, you are saving. It, or you can so sell you it. You can redeem the time or you can sell the time. You don't have to hold it. You know what I mean? You can, That's pretty like, interesting. The, That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Anybody got questions about any of that? I'm on it right now. It looks real interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you and you and Khalid need to get all that. Cause his his co-founder works at Apple. Kaza works at Amazon. His co-founder works at Apple. Both African American guys. They're like unicorns. Um, so you guys definitely people. I know I always pick your brain. So I'm sure others would want to. Um, anybody else? Any other questions about anything I've talked about? Anybody else I've talked about? My son's yeah, in the background think, uh, screaming, sorry, I'm going to mute. <laughs> yeah, just for uh, future reference, I think, you know, you, Milan, and Kaza should do another room probably tomorrow or next week. I think a lot of what you guys are sharing are very unique. You know, how I got my first night on uh, Clubhouse was literally I was in a room with like 50 to 100 Ivy League uh, tech people in Silicon Valley. And I was like, I would have access to this conversation nowhere else on the planet if it wasn't on Clubhouse. So I think, you know, it's all about creating little uh, sub-segment groups to share information and collaborate with each other. And, you know, with Milan just shared, I had to go look it up too, Kaza. So uh, thank you, Milan, for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. See, yeah, that's dope. That's why I, I, I just test. This is my first day testing. I've been looking at it and trying to understand it. And not creating on it. But today I was like, you know what? I'm not going to play around. I'm just going to jump in. You know, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm sure I'll get some people on. Thank you for everybody who came through, by the way. Um, this will be a podcast on the Miguel Sanchez World Podcast. You know how we do. Um, <laughs> and eventually Miguel, I'm going to record it too. Miguel, can you bring up anybody else that's below you or tell them to raise their hand if they want to come up and speak? Anybody else want to talk uh, um, or have any questions? Definitely raise your hand. Anybody want to connect with us? Being shy or being shy. All right, so... Uh, Francis, come up. Come up, Francis. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, Milan, so what's funny is the company that me and your dad met at that I started working on websites, me and Francis worked there too together. So it's super connected. We, we You know, all this stuff is a super connection. Um, this is Dollhouse, right? You're speaking? Dollhouse. Well, well, I worked at this company called DME Interactive. It was actually the first ever... African-American-owned, publicly-traded advertising agency. The story wow. was very bad how it ended. Um, the guy basically <laughs> robbed everybody through the stock market. Um, but me and, your, me and your pops would meet there because we would be making, we would be working on, I was working on side hustles. Um, and Francis was one of the, the, the developers at that time. Um, at at the, the, the company, not the one me and your dad worked on. Gotcha. Um so anybody else? Anybody else? All right. So you know what? I, I don't know how to uh, keep it going, but if there's any other questions, I guess what, what I would leave you with is I would tell everybody who's been listening to really start looking into this, this thing. If you're an entrepreneur or an investor, right? Again, this is why I keep saying there's a connection here. If you're an investor, you want to look for good companies early with good valuations early, right? So if you see something and you're like, wow, this company's value at $10 million right now. And I really think this is going to blow up. And if they actually ever get to the stock market, 
This thing could be a $200, $300 per share thing, and I get to buy it right now for $1 per share? Why not take that risk? It's a, it is a higher risk the earlier you get in, for sure. But this is what I always tell people. You know all this GameStop stuff everybody's talking about? You know how much money the initial investors made 20 years ago? You know what I mean? Like, these people that are making the money, they make their money when it hits the stock market. We get to make our money after it's on the stock market. The real money's made investing early in these companies. And what's happening in the stock market? If you look, companies are IPOing at much higher valuations. And that's going to change how much money's made after it IPOs. If you follow me, basically, Amazon, if it IPO today, it'll be IPOing at hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So how much bigger can it get, right? Versus when it IPO'd in the 90s or whatever, 2000s, whatever it was, the value of it was much less. So it grew this much. And they say if you would have gave Amazon $1,000, once it IPO'd, you would have a million dollars today. But what's happening now is the companies are IPOing much bigger. Look at Airbnb. Airbnb just um, IPO'd at like $70 billion? Something like that, right? So you got to hope it goes to 700 trillion, you know, some crazy number to get that kind of re return like you would have in the, the 2000s investing in stuff like Google, Amazon. So what's happening with the stock market is many people are saying, who knows what, go what happens with this next version of post-IPO growth? Because they're, they're all grown, they're coming in at too high valuations to see large money. This is why investors are starting to invest earlier in companies because if they're right and they get 10,000 times their, their money, one win fixes all the losses. So that's why venture capitalists exist. They rather invest in a thousand companies knowing that 10 will create billion dollar companies and maybe 30% of them will create hundreds of million dollar companies. The rest will fail, but they'll still win big, right? So... What I'm looking at is, okay, how can we start looking at the data of what equity crowdfunding is going on, making sure these platforms are not allowing what Kaza said, because you're right, that's, that's definitely something that I thought about too. We could just put anything up, but it's up, to the, it's up to those platforms to say no. Like Republic, for instance, Republic only accepts 3% of the people that apply to them. That was when I spoke to them a few years ago. I met this girl from there. She was saying, we only accept 3%. And that was a few years ago. Today, Arlen Hamilton put her fund on Republic, right? So now I don't. I'm, Arlen Hamilton's a rock star, though. But Republic has been diversifying what type of things you can invest in: real estate on Republic, video games, uh, startups. Um, I think that's it. I'm pretty sure there's more. But so and all through equity crowdfunding, so you could give a hundred dollars to the next fund, which. I'm trying to do right now as we talk. I'm trying to invest in Arlen Hamilton's fund because it's going so fast. She's about to raise a million dollars in a day because of her social media power. And, and she's been a public speaker. She has a book. You know, everybody knows that she's like the first black gay fund manager. And she's literally going to people like, you need to fund us. It's about damn time that you fund people like me. Right. And she's been making a, a, a big wave about it. And she's gotten a bunch of press. Now she's using that press inequity crowdfunding, which is the way to use press, right? So this is where, I, you know, I don't know if I'll end it there. If anybody else has any questions, I wanted to kind of do an hour. Of course, I'm always willing to go longer, but any questions on what I just said? I do got a question. So, um, 
regards to crowdfunding and picking companies, right? So right now we have about four companies mm-hmm. all together. Um, the common goal of all, all those companies is sustainable living. Okay. Um, you know, you know self, which is the currency. Mm-hmm. We have Ingrown, which I think you're going to learn about more in a couple of weeks, uh, which is the supplier of fresh produce. We're supplying probably Amazon, Walmart, all of them. And then um, we also have homes that are like natural that heal you while you're inside of them. So should we pick the most revenue generating company and raise with that one or raise on a parent level and say all three of these companies are basically going to be doing what we're doing here? Um, I have half of my board saying we should do it as a venture lab and half of my board saying we should do InGrow, which is the most revenue generating today. So because you're going to the public, I would suggest, advise you to do what's easiest to digest, no pun intended, right? Like you have to make sure that the public that's coming to to invest understands what you're doing. And I know a lot about what you're doing because we've been talking for years but if I just landed on this and you tell me about four companies and all the different, I may just click off, you know, like you want to, you got to think it's B to C investing, right? You got to, you got to, you got to get consumer to give up their money. So all of us that have been in advertising on this call understand you got, you got to talk to them on their level and make sure they fully understand what they're buying to come off that money. Right? So I would tell you to pick, Something or pick the one that's easiest to understand with the most revenue because that's another thing, right? You're going to want to prove or at least be able to back up your valuation, right? Because if I tell you, even even these 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 AI companies that Kaza was talking about, they're saying they're worth $10 million out the gate. It's hard to just believe that, right? And I've seen some on, I've seen some on, on the, um, these platforms, but the way they sell themselves is the team. Like there's the people that worked at Google for 20 years and, and different things. Right. So you believe again in that team more than whatever they have. And then you also believe a little bit in that platform, knowing that the platform hopefully doesn't put something on that's a total mess. But again, even these venture capital firms, like Kaza was saying, they spend millions and they still get most of it wrong. Right, they, they their percentage of misses is like ridiculous. So, you know, for 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 a consumer to just be able to pick it right, that is going to be a thing that we got to deal with as we go further. But as entrepreneurs, if I put my entrepreneur hat on, I see it as an opportunity. If you know how to educate, if you know how to talk to consumers, give them the full potential of what you're about to give them as an investment. I think there's no there's never been a better time to raise money. You know, then, then to have to go to the same people who just don't invest in people like us, I don't, I don't think there's an option actually right now with this COVID thing. I've actually heard, again, being able to be on both sides, I've heard companies with ridiculous traction. I'm talking about companies that are making $10 million a year in revenue have to take down rounds because the, the investors have said, you're not going to make it. Either you take my money right now and survive these next two years at a down round or you're going to go out of business and they take it and that's fucked up, right? Like versus if they would have went to the crowd, if you're doing 10 million in sales, go to the crowd, see if the crowd, crowd can give you that 2 million and you don't got to do a down round, right? So it's a lot of craziness and this COVID thing is going to make it a little harder for a little while. But as we've seen in COVID, social media has popped off like never before. So I, that's what I would tell you as an entrepreneur, start figuring out how to collect emails from people 
who are interested in investing. And that that's that's all I can say SEC wise. Um <laughs> but definitely that's what I would be doing right now. Okay. All right. So anybody else? Any other questions? Thank you for everybody. A lot of you guys stayed the whole time. Hopefully that means what we were talking about was interesting. Um any other last any last words from anybody? Yeah, thanks everyone for talking. Miguel, we gotta do this some more. Let's um set up something uh consistent. I'm down. And uh I you know, so all right, yeah, 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 I'm willing to. All right, James, James just came through. James, tell us about yourself. Hey, Miguel, calling you from uh, Dublin, Ireland. So it's a little oh, nice. Uh, See, I'm, I'm international. They call me international Mike on the low. Yeah, you don't know about that. international. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit later, and I probably joined the conversation a little bit late, so I stayed kind of quiet. Uh, Milan, I guess uh, just two observations, so I may have missed your pitch, but uh, whether you're going with a group of companies or a single uh probably really depends on the pitch and the story for both routes. Uh, so it will be worth maybe exploring that a little bit more. And perhaps if you're having another call, talking that out uh, sort of end to end or taking a topic like that, uh, something that would actually allow you to go IPO or is that the only route to funding here? Because uh, I think, Miguel, you're talking about um, quite a lot of it is, is going public, but there's lots of other ways to get money. Yeah, definitely. The, the reason why I take the public route and I talk about that mostly is because that's where, again, I'm trying to I'm trying to feed based on what I think is digestible. Right. Everybody understands the stock market. Everybody understands what's going on with GameStop. There's many, many other ways that you can make money through investing in a startup. Right. You can do revenue share. You can do all kind of different things. But the stock market is what everybody probably right now is interested in because of what they've seen with the GameStops of the world. So they don't even really understand early stage tech investing. It's the same thing. Is you're investing in stocks in a company early. So by doing that, your upside is better if that company prevails. If it doesn't, though, it, it was a risk either way. You can invest in GameStop and be late to the game and lose all your money, too. What I like about equity crowdfunding is we could take the companies from people like Milan and Casa and help them early because if you have a special person that just needs the funding and is willing to do whatever it takes but can't get that first over-the-hump money from the traditional route, this is the way, you know, and that's where I see. Sure. I think if I was listening to Milan's question from a little bit ago, it was whether to pitch the group of companies or to pitch a single entity within the group. Sure. And uh, yep. I think the answer was good in terms of uh, try to choose something that is the simplest to sell. But perhaps a good way to look at that is let's look at what stacks up best from the numbers and traction. Perhaps the group will tell a better story in that space and diversify the risk than one single entity. So so maybe to That's look at true. it both ways. I guys, agree with that. You guys have probably discussed that earlier in the call. That's why I didn't join in. No, but I, I agree with that. What's going on. I don't think we did, but Milan can answer that. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. You know, we, um, we're kind of building a sustainable living, like I was saying. So it's kind of, let's say, ingrown right now. We're distributing organic products on Walmart and Amazon, and we're making like 10K a week just doing 20% of our actual inventory, right? But okay. when we're doing this, we're seeing, okay, we're getting customers. We're getting 1,000 customers a week. So that means technically that's a thousand self users because they already are looking to buy organic products. All we have to do is upsell self. You, but, say, but this is the thing, um, Milan, you're you're you may be thinking like you're just talking to me. Most of these people don't know 
what most of the companies you're talking about. I'm, I'm trying to add all the knowledge all together. <laughs> so I'm trying to do it together. So uh, when I'm saying up, upsell self, self is basically rewarding you for your self-improvement and you're earning coins by improving your mind, body, your soul, right? So we're going to tell these people that are buying our ingrown products that you can get, let's say you're buying corn grits, organic corn grits, right? You can buy that with 65 coins rather than $6, right? Um, okay. upsell the whole ecosystem as we're doing one company. So I think if I was to play that back to you, I, I hear something in a purpose around self-improvement, organics, and that kind of that kind of area. And what you've done is you've got a, a sort of a, a product sale that can then be upsell to much more of a lifestyle type group of companies. Now, if you can show that the revenue per customer increases quite dramatically as you upsell, if you can demonstrate some traction in that space financially, that may be quite an interesting investment versus one company. I, I actually, the, the big struggle, I would say I agree with him. The big struggle is making it easy to digest. Like what you just said, the way he broke it down actually was a good kind of way. By saying you're creating an ecosystem of products and services that help you to self-improve and not just food but there's exercise, there's there's um, data. I mean, I know more than most people know. I don't know what I should be saying, sorry. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, you have these products and services that help to self-improve, right? So if you can create an easy-to-understand narrative for the equity crowdfund, I think it does make more sense. It is much more um, safe because it's not just one product. If that one product doesn't work out of your whole suite, you lose, right? But at the same time, I just I just know all the pieces and they're they're pretty complicated. So if you could really make a simplified way to explain them all, I think that's your win. I think there's something in the lifestyle pitch of that niche of customer you're going after, which is very on trend at the moment. And, and I think if you're starting with traction in one area, being able to build that out into the coin or the other pieces, um, yeah, I can feel a purpose-led business with multiple revenue streams focused off the same customer base, which will have a higher cost uh, revenue per customer and probably a stickier customer base over the longer term. Might be a more interesting uh, investment story. But listen, guys, I came late, so... Uh, I know it's late uh, where you are. Thank you for thank you for coming in. Connect to me at some stage. Definitely will. Definitely will. I I, I followed you. Um, I'll be in touch. Um, and thank you, thank you for coming by. I know it's super late where you are. Um, so I guess you know this is a good place to end it. Thank you for everybody who who came out and and came out. Uh, just turn on your app. Thank you for turning on your app. <laughs> and um. You know, listening to the Entrepreneur and Investors Room. I don't know what I'll name it eventually. I may change that. But um, I like the idea of, of having conversations that connect those dots. And let me know how you guys feel about it. Definitely hit me up. Um, thank you for listening. Good job. All right. I'll turn this thank off. I don't know how to turn this one. off. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Leave quietly. There you go.
And that concludes our show. Thanks again. If you've listened to the podcast this far, hopefully that means you've enjoyed it and it has helped you in some way. So again, I would ask you if you could please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it. And if you are listening to it on Apple, please give me a five-star rating. That will help tremendously with growing everything I'm trying to do. So I truly appreciate you and I look forward to continuing to help you by creating this content. Thank you.